we are, we are living in some pretty exciting times because I see God moving more and more in the lives of people. And if you know scripture at all, he's separating the, the goats from the sheep and, and people are having to stand up or sit down and be quiet for the name of Jesus. And I remember last week, Pastor Tim was uh, talking about being a peacemaker and he went through the beatitude one at a time and showed how they built upon each other. Well, I'd like to review before we dig into today's verses, but I want to do it in reverse. So you get your notes there, and you'll see point number one is that we are peacemakers, as you see in the Sermon on the Mount in verse 9. We are peacemakers because we have seen God in all his holiness and have purified ourselves by confessing our sins and becoming pure in heart. That makes us a peacemaker as we work toward that. We are pure in heart, number two, because we have received mercy from God and in turn are merciful to others. We are merciful to others because we have been satisfied by knowing God and his righteousness. Number four, we have been satisfied because we hunger and thirst after righteousness and we see our inheritance and have humbled ourselves and become people of meek character. Number five, we become meek, but not weak. Remember that, it's not weakness. We become meek character. We become humble people because we have been comforted after mourning over our sins. And finally, we are mournful about our sins because we have seen ourselves as poor in spirit. And we recognize that we are wretched sinners and have repented and agreed with God about our sin and believed the promises about our eternal home in heaven. Well, that brings us to today. So I want you to grab your Bibles and, and leave them open to uh, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at a number of different ver uh, verses. If you want to uh, jump around, you can, but we'll be... Uh, we're coming back to Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, quite often. Matthew 5, we're going to start in verse 10. It says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I'm thinking, what? I, I've learned to, that a wretch, I'm a wretched man, that I'm a sinner, and I've mourned over that sin, and I become a person who is meek. I've begun to hunger and thirst after righteousness, and I, I, I show mercy to others. I've purified my heart be, and became a peacemaker only to look forward to persecution. What kind of deal is that? I'm thinking to myself. The, the closer I get to God, the more I act like Jesus, I can look forward to more suffering? Sounds like that's what he's saying here. The result of becoming a peacemaker or one who is not afraid to speak up for injustice and sin is that there will be more persecution and that, that we're to rejoice and be glad in it? On top of that, doesn't make sense, does it? John MacArthur wrote, 
is that those who are kingdom citizens are at odds with Satan's system. Those who are kingdom citizens are at odds with Satan's system. Well, if you look over, I've got a few verses I want to share with you that just reiterate what Jesus was just saying. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, it says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Then over in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Then Paul says again in Philippians 1, 29 and 30, it says, For it has been granted that, you, that for, your sake, for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. The last verse I want to look at is 1 Thessalonians 3, 3, that Paul is encouraging the, the church there that when they're in the midst of this suffering, he says that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. This is part of God's plan. Does that scare you? Does that scare you and make you think, man, do I really want to be a Christian? Do I really want to give my life to God just in order to, that, I could be, that I could suffer more? If you don't want to suffer persecution, I've got the recipe right here. I want to share with this. There's about seven things here that you can do to avoid persecution. Okay? Number one is approve what the world does instead of disapproving it. Number two is accept the world's morals and ethics. Third is don't tell people that they are sinners. Just stay quiet about that. Number four is, is don't confront people with the truth that they are doomed for a Christless eternity. Nobody wants to hear that. And, and never next, don't talk about hell. Never do that. That's, you just don't do that. Then, don't teach that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Don't talk about that. And finally, you know, be, you know, just be a little bit embarrassed about your salvation. Keep it hidden. Be ashamed to take a stand for Christ. This is the way to avoid persecution. Sounds easy, right? But it's kind of dangerous to live like that. Because what does Jesus say in Luke chapter 9, verse 26? He says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed. That's what he says. Well, we see this lived out in, in Acts chapter 5, verse 40 and 41, where Peter and John were before the priests and the Jewish leaders, and, and they were told not to speak about Christ again. They said, don't do it. It says in verse 40, it says, when they, that is the leaders, had called the apostles in, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, sad, downtrodden, and discouraged. Is that what they sa it says there? 
No. It says that they rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, for the name of Jesus. They counted that an honor and a privilege. They rejoiced in that. Now let's look back at Matthew chapter 5, and you'll notice, this is one thing that we, re- we need to, to understand in verse 10. You'll notice that it, it, it doesn't say, blessed are those who are persecuted, period. It doesn't say that. It goes on to say, for righteousness' sake. There are, there's lots of people in this world, millions of people who are persecuted daily around the world. Most of the time, it's because that's where they live. They live in a country like that. That's why we started RHM Ministries, because we want to work with people who are persecuted because they, they didn't do anything. They're just innocent people trying to eke out a living, and they're suffering this persecution from the hand of, of rebels and things. That's why we formed RHM. But the people he's talking about here is Jesus is talking about those who suffer because they're speaking up for his name and for his honor. And those are the ones who are going to find joy in suffering and peace through imprisonment. There's a difference between the two groups of people. There's, as I was doing this study this week, there's a lot of verses that talk about suffering for the name of Jesus. In the Old Testament, the prophets in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, just verses after verse, but I'm not going to, I don't have time to cover all those today. But I want you to come back to verses 3 through 10 and, and observe something with me. That the second half of verses 3 and verse 10 say the exact same thing. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, when I, I saw that, I said, wait a minute, did Jesus run out of things to say, so he just started repeating himself? No. That's not the purpose for this. He wrote these things for a reason. Verse 3, which starts the Beatitudes, and verse 10, which ends them, it all comes full circle back to God's kingdom. What are we living for? It comes full circle from where we began. It brings us right back to the kingdom of God. And that's the, the exciting thing. Why do we strive to please God? What is the purpose of giving up a life of sin in order to serve a God that we cannot see? It's for the kingdom's sake and all that entails. It's for his glory, his kingdom. And we're going to see that as we go on. We are living for a higher purpose on this earth. One that is, has greater rewards and, and brings glory to the one who is both our Lord and our Savior. The one for whom we give ourselves to. The rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This is, who we're, this is our higher calling. This is our purpose. This is the gospel wrapped up in here. It's not just our salvation, but it's all this that we just studied the last 10 weeks. At a conference that, that I was at in February, they kept repeat, repeating this phrase throughout the whole week. You do what we do what we do because we want what we want. In other words, I become angry because I want things my own way or I want people to see it the way that I see it and, and anger becomes a part of my life. We give in to sexual temptations because 
we want to satisfy our flesh. We covet because we want something that somebody else has that we don't. So we begin to covet. Well, this is also true about the kingdom of God, that we do what we do because we want what we want. So we, we mourn over our sin. We become people who are meek and merciful. We become merciful. We strive to be pure in heart, and we become peacemakers because we want to please God. We want to please God and be a part of his eternal plan. We do what we do because we want what we want. I'd like to expand that just a little bit and, and say that, that we do what we do because we want what he wants. That God will give us the desires of our hearts, that, that he's going to put in our hearts the things that he wants us to accomplish, the things that he wants us to do on this earth. So the kingdom of heaven is ours. And we need to keep that in the forefront of our mind every day as we go to work, as we go to school, as we're in our community or we're at church, that we're here for a greater purpose than just myself. We're here for the kingdom's sake, for the sake of God's grace and mercy being taken to the whole world. Now, one thing, as you go back to chapter 5 again, you'll look in verses 1 through 10. You'll notice that it's in the third person. Blessed are those, blessed are the, blessed are those. And, and it keeps going like that until you get to verse 11. Changes course. It says, now, blessed are you. He's changing it. Why? He's bringing it down from the big picture to now it's showing us that, that this, is, this is God's plan for you and me. He's going from the general now to the specific. How can you live this out? What's going to happen when you strive to please God in all you do? Blessed are you if you are persecuted because you follow hard after God. He's going to the specific. If we look at uh, Luke chapter 6, this, the, another passage that says around the same thing in verses 22 and 23, it says, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, he says. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their, their fathers did to the prophets. This is amazing. That, we, that God gives us the grace and ability. We're going to see in a minute about a, a gentleman that had went through this. But I want you to co contrast that to verse 26 of that same chapter, where it says, woe to you. When all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to who? The false prophets. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, I just had a birthday a couple weeks ago. Say happy birthday. Thank you. And uh, during, uh, we have a tradition on staff is that uh, when it's your birthday, we get around, we eat bagels, and everybody says something nice about you. Okay, that's all. That's it's a blessing because sometimes the work gets hard and, and, and people aren't always agreeing that. But to have the staff be able to say, you know what, I appreciate you because of this or that, it's nice. But then I think there's a lot of people that don't like me, 
and uh, my family, one of them. And uh, it's a long story, but uh, it's, suffice it to say, there's uh, some issues there. But he's saying, he said, when people revile you, that we're to jump for joy because their reward is great. If everybody was, loved me and, and always said nice things about me, I would begin to wonder, what am I not doing right that people all love me? Otherwise, people would say, you know, in the world, people are saying, wow, you need to be loved. You want people to love you because then you can uh, get up the ladder a little quicker if everybody likes you. But he's saying, no, that's not the way it is here. So I want you to look at, um, uh, just think back for that, that nurse that we looked at, Jeremy, that we saw the video. Like he said, that he could have gone to court and fought for being wrongfully fired, and he could have, you know, just worked at keeping that job. But instead, he and his wife, they leaned heavily on the Lord and learned to trust him and to take him from where he was to where God wanted him because of the persecution that he was facing at work for standing up and, and sharing the gospel with somebody of a different religion, different faith. We need to remember that. God used that period in his life to strengthen him and to show him that he, that is God, had a bigger purpose for him. Question I have for you, is God sovereign? Does he have our best interest in, 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 in mind as he, as he leads us? Will he ever give us something? Will he ever bring something into our life that by his grace he cannot sustain us through? The answer is yes, yes, and no. He, does, he is sovereign. He does have our best interest in mind. And no, there is never a time that his grace cannot sustain us through anything we go through. And that's a promise. That's shown in, in 1 Peter 3, verses 13 to 16. It says, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? If you're a good person, people like that. You know, you donate to the dog shelter, you give food to the food pantry. People like that. You're being a nice person. But even if, if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your heart honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile you, revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. It brings it right back to God. When we live a life that is pleasing to him and people slander us, and uh, we're going to see that in just a minute in, in, um, in another, verse, uh, another story. So what did Jesus this comes back, Jesus shared this with his disciples and with us in Matthew chapter 10. If you look over a couple chapters in chapter 10, verse, starting in verse 16, it says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in the synagogues and will drag you before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, 
for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speaks, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. That's encouraging, because I, sometimes I think, oh boy, if somebody were to come and, and, and threaten me, I don't speak well under pressure. When I go before the courts or when a police officer comes up and, and I know that I've been speeding, um, uh, I'm sorry, uh, I get tongue-tied in things. But he's saying here, don't worry about that. When you stand before these people for my name's sake, I'm going to let you know what to say. I'm going to give you the words to say. How did that live out? In Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 6, Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were the, of the high priestly family, and when they set them in the midst, that is the apostles, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? Peter, then, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, dot, 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 dot. Peter didn't know what he was going to say when he went in there, but it says when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he began to speak to them. And you can read the message that he shared with them as if you read further in that chapter. Now, there was a, uh, a Romanian pastor, to bring it down to modern day, a Romanian pastor that described how he was imprisoned and tortured mercilessly, and, and yet he experienced the joy of the Lord. He was locked in, in solitary confinement, and his captors would summon him out, and they would cut parts of his flesh out of him and send him back into his cell and, and starve him. They wouldn't give him any food. This is what was so cool. He says, Yet in the midst of this torture, there were times when the joy of Christ so overcame him that he would pull himself up and shuffle in his cell the holy dance, a holy dance. He was so filled with joy of the Lord. That's amazing. And, and so remarkable was, was his joy that when he was released from prison, first thing he did when he went home is he fasted that first day in memorial of the joy that he experienced when he was in prison. That is truly amazing. It's not him. It's God that did it. He's no different than you and I. He just had a, a major trust in the Lord. Hearing stories like this, we, you know, we, we just naturally think, how is that possible? How could the guy like that that's having his, his being tortured and, and not being fed and, and all this stuff still get up and experience the joy of the Lord. The partial answer is this. You'll notice that it did not say that they enjoy persecution. You know, to say, to suggest that we should enjoy persecution is a, a perversion. We don't go around, beat me, I'm a Christian. We don't do that. But we also need to understand that, that persecution in itself is neither blessed or joyous. Persecution as a whole, people do it all the time, are being persecuted. However, there is a kind of persecution that God has blessed, and, as a res and it results in, in joy and in the glorification of who God is. It becomes, he blesses us as we live our life to please him and not be ashamed of the gospel. Around the world, the church is being persecuted day after day. 
There are places that if you leave that country's religion, you could be imprisoned, tortured, and even put to death. I want, to watch, I want you to watch this short video, and it names the five top countries in the world that to be a Christian is very difficult. Toughest place to live as a Christian. Watch the video. Sobering, isn't it? To know that there are places that if you are discovered that you're a Christian, they'll kill you on the spot. My question is, how long until that same type of persecution comes here on our soil? We have a, um, a friend of mine, a man that comes to this church. He made a sign for a community that said, welcome to X community, X location, welcome. As you come into town off the highway. Then when you leave, that same sign on the backside as you're leaving, it would say, have a blessed day. That was approved by the city council. He installed the sign. Everything was fine till one day somebody said to the city council, I'm offended by that sign. I don't want that sign up there. Have a blessed day. You got to take it down. So he had to. He had to redo the sign and change the wording around to have a great day. And you know, just, just because of Jesus, just because of the word blessed, it had that connotation. We have another friend here. 13 years ago, he was working as a supervisor in a mill New Jersey, and while walking around the shop one afternoon, one of, it, one of the guys under him sneezed. And he said, God bless you. Immediately, that gentleman went to the shop steward. Shop steward called them into the office along with the offended party, the union steward, and upper management, and, and he, they told him that this guy was an atheist and he wanted Danny, which is not his real name, to recant what he had said. He said, no, I can't. There's, there's nothing against the law of what I said. So the, the union boss from New York was called in, and they, they had a meeting, and they told him to recant what, he's, what he had said. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. As a result, they gave him a week off. And during that week, while he was off, they changed his job description and called him and told him that his services were no longer needed at this shop. We don't have that position anymore. All because he said, God bless you. Isn't that crazy? It's happening. That was 13 years ago. So you can imagine what happens now if somebody tries to take their Bible to school or uh, try to witness to a, a child at school as a Christian teacher. Man, I, I, envy, I don't envy your position but I pray for you that in the public schools, in the public offices where you are not allowed to talk about Jesus, but you can have a, a girl in the boys' locker room changing their clothes right in front of you, that's no big deal. But to say Jesus or pray about something.